Welcome to a special edition of Broken Pledge. We're calling it Behind the Notebook. The Broken Pledge team is here to kind of talk about how we reported on this, some of the interesting things that happened along the way, and also what the reaction has been. Joined here by the basically the entire team, myself, Lucas Sullivan, Sheridan Hendricks is here, Mike Wagner, and audio engineer extraordinaire Patrick Flaherty, PR Flaherty, is here. We're all, for the most part, rested and not recovered from the last several months of doing this, but we're getting there. But we're we're here to discuss kind of behind the scenes of what happened. And there are some interesting things as as with any story of this magnitude. And, and of, if you've listened to it, it, it is about the hazing and death of Colin Wyant, an Ohio University freshman from Dublin, Ohio, who three months into his college career passed away in an off-campus unsanctioned fraternity house of Sigma Pi, which is a now expelled fraternity at Ohio University. And so it was an interesting story. And Mike, interested in your perspective, because you kind of got on this first and had the first initial meeting along with Sheridan with the Wyants. I wanted to get your thoughts on heading into that initial sit down with them. I don't think you knew that we were going to maybe do something like this, but you knew that there was something, there was a story there to be told. Yeah, the Wyant parents... Despite uh, Colin's death happening in November of last year, when Sharon and I met with them in the spring, it was still very raw. Their wrongful death suit had been filed just a few weeks before, and they were sort of wading into the next phase of grieving and and learning more details because the case continued to evolve. So um, they had done one very quick interview with a local TV station, but they hadn't gone in depth with this story. So Sheridan and I met them up at their their attorney's office and spent several hours. And we're often asked, uh, since this is behind the the Notebook podcast, how do you separate being a a human um, from being a reporter? And the the simple answer is you you don't. Yeah, Uh, especially not on this a story like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'll let Sheridan jump in here and, and talk about what that meeting was like. But I'll just recall one one moment. It was actually when we were done and a lot of painstaking questions and emotional moments. And uh, Wade came up to me, uh, Colin's father, and he grabbed my arm and he started sobbing again because he had been recalling the the moment during the interview where he went to OU and he saw that the the unofficial fraternity house had no letters. And Colin was not the, uh, uh, the son that he remembered and on the ride back, he said he came very close to turning that car around, and he didn't. And he looked at me and said, you know, I'll never, ever, ever be able to live that down. I'll never be able to get past that moment. And I remember going out to my car after some small talk with Sheridan, and I, I started crying in my car. I had a son at OU who was going down a, a bad path. He wasn't in Greek life, but I could relate to what he was talking about, and his pain was was very difficult that was the interesting thing sheridan was relating to the pain you know it was it was clearly evident with the Wyants, but they were talking about situations that whether you're a parent or just recently out of college or went to college you could see yourself in that situation you could relate in some way 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think to go off of Mike's point about it's impossible to totally separate yourself from being a reporter and a human being, I think for everyone involved in this project and for everyone that's read it so far, listened to it, it's been deeply personal for a number of reasons for people. For me, it's like my brothers both went to OU, either graduated from there or went there for a year. I have a brother that's involved in Greek life. I have another brother that has a lot of friends in Greek life. There's all of these connections that you can draw from the stories that you report on. And at least for me, it it was impossible for me to not think about Colin and to report this story without thinking about my brothers or my friends that I have in Greek life. And I think it makes it that much more important to do a good job making sure that you're telling the story well and telling the story that, you know, honors Colin in a sense, but also, you know, getting across what we're trying to get done, which is shine a light on fraternity hazing. And after that, we quickly realized there was a lot of emotion here that could be captured on audio that necessarily may not come across in a newspaper article um, to some degree. But we, we started discussing about ways we could better tell this story in a different format. And one of the things that we discussed early on, Sheridan, was there was one person we really wanted to talk to early on, and that was Colin's brother, Aiden, Mm -hmm. who he was close with. And we weren't sure we were going to be able to talk to him. Aiden was uh, 16 or 17 at the time and had been dealing with a lot of this. And can you kind of talk about how you handled getting him comfortable enough to talk with us? Yeah, So, I mean, a lot of that is just building trust over time. And thankfully, our initial conversation, Mike and I's conversation with Kathleen and Wade, went really well. And they were really grateful for us to be able to do this story. And when we had gone back to them and said, you know, we think this is going to be a lot bigger than what we had originally intended. You know, this is kind of what we're thinking. This is what we would need from you guys as far as access. Like, we're going to have to talk with you guys a lot. We're going to have to record our interviews. We're going to need pictures and videos and audio of your family and Colin. And part of that is going to include talking ideally to your children so that it's not just your guys's perspective and we we had been hearing that he and aiden were particularly close right they are i mean i think they're only like 18 19 months apart very close with one another reminded me a lot of my brothers they're only you know a couple years apart too so they had a very close relationship and that was ideal for us to be able to talk with him so telling kathleen and wade up front like listen we want to talk with aiden he's your son we're gonna you know you guys know him best but how can we, you know, talk with him? And the first couple of times we talked with him, it was with his parents in the room. I went up once to their house and sat in the room with Wade for a little bit and talked with Aiden and then Kathleen for a little bit and talked with Aiden. And the next time we went up, it was both of us together. And yeah, we really wanted to get him alone. We really wanted to. And it was talking with Kathleen and Wade and being like, listen, it's, a, it's really important for us to talk with Aiden. I think they were a little concerned at first, like, is he in a good spot? a good place in his life and in his mind to be able to talk about this openly, which totally makes sense. But I think building that trust was really important and kind of following their lead at first. Like if they're going to be comfortable sitting in the room while we talk with Aiden so that they know what we're interested in, then that's fine. But after a while asking like, you know, is it cool if we just talk with Aiden one-on-one? And it went really well. I mean, Aiden, of course, has been through a lot losing Mm -hmm. his brother, but I think building that trust and having that relationship with his parents beforehand, being really upfront, like this is what we're looking for and this is what we want, was able to help, you know, actually get Aiden to feel comfortable talking with us. And Mike and Patrick, this is your time to shine too, Patrick. This type of project is, you know, Mike has done several projects 
a lot of them nationally known. He's He's been doing this a while, but this was a little different in terms of how we wanted to present it to our readers and, and you know, into the world, basically. And so you and I early on had discussions about how to do that. And I wanted I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, we we know how to do the newspaper thing. That's something that, you know, we we know the X's and O's of that, but this was a little different. And I'm wondering if you had any reservations or any concerns or, you know, what your feeling was in the early stages of, of taking something that other outlets had been covering a little bit and they were making news and constant headlines at the time, but doing something deeper with it. Yeah, it pains me to do this, but in all sincerity, I, I have to give uh, Lucas uh, huge credit because we actually started investigating hazing on a grander scale very early in the year, and we found that hazing is rarely uh, making its way into the uh, criminal courts, and there's uh, often very little consequences for this very dangerous behavior. And Lucas said very early on that I wonder if we could find a case where we could go deeper and tell the story uh, in an audio way. He would often reference a story called Dirty John, which is about a guy out of L.A. who bilked uh, women, married them, took all their money, and the L.A. Times did this incredible podcast telling that story. And so our radar was already up uh, for a case, and, but after Sheridan and I spent time with Alliance and Sheridan uh, took the lead on writing the first initial narrative story, I came back to the office and told Lucas, I think you've, you've found what you were looking for. I think this Wyant case could be our chance to move away from the traditional newspaper uh, project. And you know, I still struggle with it. In the end, we wrote very short narrative uh, print pieces to accompany the six-part podcast. And I'm not sure it needs to be an either-or because we, we clearly have two separate audiences, which we tried to bring together or merge with this project. But I certainly had no reservations uh, for trying this. And Lucas, all kidding aside, really led us on this path where we, uh, we put this thing together. Yeah, and Patrick, we had been having these conversations, and unbeknownst to you, we were having these conversations. So what was your, because I know a lot of a lot of your work has been dealing with some breaking news, sports podcasts, things that we are kind of a routine that you know uh, you're comfortable with. And I wanted to, wanted to get your thoughts when you first heard about this and how you thought we could pull it off. Yeah, I mean, we had never really done anything like this before at the Dispatch. Not like done anything audio-wise because we had, like you mentioned, like the sports podcasts and stuff like that. So this was kind of like our first track into like long-form storytelling or like long-form story podcasting driven by audio. So that was kind of exciting to me and also a little scary. Like I didn't know like exactly what this would look like. I knew it would be a lot of time. Like we spent many hours in here editing and yeah, it all finally came together though. And the interesting thing with working with Patrick on this is we were all, the three of us were immersed in this, gathering everything. We, you know, it becomes familiar. You you just think about it differently. You handle it differently. And the interesting thing with editing with you, Patrick, was you were hearing a lot of this stuff for the first time. And it was interesting to see your reactions because you you could kind of tell, I remember you looking at me at some point and saying, wow, this is this is unbelievable. This is going to be awesome, basically. Yeah, it was like, I guess it was really cool. Like you said, you were immersed in it way more than I was. But then I, like throughout the course of this project and getting into it and listening to these like 155 minute like field audio clips that you guys would go and record at the Wyant's house. It was like, I mean, I would spend hours in here just by myself listening. And like the one time I was listening for like hours and I was 
real deep and apart with Wade and Kathleen and they started crying and I started crying and I'm in here alone at like six at night and it was just I mean it was like a wild ride but like it was really cool to just watch even how I got immersed in the whole project as well so the one well, some of the things that are familiar with this you have in every project like this there are some very sensitive parts there are some very outrageous parts there are a lot of people involved it requires you to ask very tough questions. We had to ask tough questions of Kathleen and Wade, Colin's parents, tough questions of OU. We had tough questions for the fraternity. You know, all across the board, there were moments. And I wanted to, let, you know, for us to tell people how we handle that. And so when we went to Wade and Kathleen and we wrote about the sexual assault allegations and the drug use and things like that, and then when we went to OU and said, we got these tapes that were recorded in, in a private closed hearing with your staff and Sigma Pi members that detail, you know, what they said and some recanting and trying to change their stories. And so Sheridan and Mike, you can weigh in on here. I know we handle that very delicately and we, we have a process for that. Well, we're very honest and open and uh, um, we, we've always uh, approached projects that way, but there's never been a more important time in journalism than to, to be straightforward and direct with exactly what your your mission is, what you want from people, what you're trying to do with the stories. And we, you know, we've made it clear from the beginning that we've interviewed dozens, um, if not more than a hundred folks now over the course of, of, of the year in law enforcement, universities, uh, students themselves, uh, former students in Greek life. And hazing's out of control in many campuses. And it's not just on campus. Uh, you'll find hazing in other parts of life. So... Whoever we, uh, we approached, with, whether it was the Wyant family, and, and Sheridan's right, we did have a good rapport and trust, but this was going to a deeper level. This was getting their text messages. This was asking Aiden to really, really talk about the secrets that he had with Colin. And yeah, when we approached the university, uh, I'll never forget driving down there. Uh, yeah, that day was interesting because we didn't know what we were going to get, right? And we did not. But we expected it to be, you know, potentially a confrontation. Potentially explosive. Right. uh, They might be upset or angry at us for for doing this or picking on their school, which, again, we've already talked about this. Uh, Sheridan has close ties to OU. I had a son graduate from OU and spent many fun weekends down uh, with family and such. But when uh, we walked in there, it was the complete opposite of a confrontational interview. I want to give the... uh, the high university administrators full credit for being cooperative, for being open with their thoughts. And at one point, they even said that they were uh, they weren't excited for this to come out, but they thought that this might help spread awareness to this. And we're leaving out an important part. About a week and a half before we went down there, they on their own finally started to take very serious, comprehensive, sweeping action where they suspended fraternities. I think nine at the time, a couple of sororities, then they dug into the band, the rugby team, even the engineering school ended up being, or sorry, not engineering school. Yeah, so they're in the news a lot. They're getting bombarded with media from all over asking yeah. a bunch of questions, and here we come, Yep. you know, with this, with our findings, basically, and, and explaining yep. to them, you know, what was going on. The moment I'll never forget in that interview was the, uh, the dean of students, Jenny Hall-Jones, who dealt directly with the aftermath of Colin's death. And I think it was Sheridan that asked her a question or talked to her about how the Lions no longer, who, again, both parents went there. They love the school. Absolutely, yeah. They 
they don't think they can ever go back. Yeah. And Jenny started talking about that and broke down and, and got emotional and started She crying. related. I mean, you know, she related in ways that we all yeah. kind of related to it. And that's something you don't see a lot, yeah. especially when you're holding people accountable with questions. And that's what we were trying to do. And when you're expecting them to be totally against what you're doing. Right. You know, because they may be worried about protecting, you know, the university and their name, but they weren't here. I mean, she was open and raw uh, in that moment. Yeah. And they understood that we were not isolating OU. This case organically happened. Colin is from a suburb of Columbus, Ohio. And we believe that it has all the elements of incidents that happen hundreds, if not more than not everybody dies in these situations. But there's a lot of students who are injured, who are shamed, who have mental health issues after these hazing incidents. And we wanted to use this case as a way to expose what really happens. And so, Sheridan, on the Wyatt side, there were talking about, I mean, we got into some really sticky details with them, some really emotional, you know, Collins drug use and the sexual assault allegations, which, which they, I know they were, you know, they were really, really upset about that, just about the whole scenario. And so, you know, can you talk a little bit about how we handled that? Yeah. I mean, I think what was good is when we first started getting into this, we, like we've talked about, we were really upfront with the Wyants. Like, we are going to have to dig into some things that are uncomfortable. At that point, when we had had our initial interview with them, we knew that there was a sexual assault allegation because that had been in the news a couple months earlier, which we didn't know about when, in the early months, when we first started reporting this, when Colin died. That was still unknown to us. But as we got deeper into this, there were things that we found out, not through the Wyants, but through these audio tapes that we obtained from OU and these investigative documents that, you know, Wade was diagnosed with cancer. We didn't know that when we first went in right. to talk with them in May. And that was a huge part of the story, at least for for Colin's story at that time and for what the Wyants were going through. We weren't aware of how much drug use was going on. So I think for us, at least laying the groundwork early and building that rapport was really important because then they they at least knew that we weren't trying to, you know, be like, gotcha, we found out all this stuff about your family and what your son was doing and we want to try and expose you guys or something. It's like, no, these are difficult details, uh, but they're important details to the entire context of the story. And framing it like that for them, I think, made it easier in some senses to be able to actually talk about it you know so when we ask so you were diagnosed with cancer like tell me about that and how this plays into it yeah um, and, and that mike, helps mike you you and i were talking just because we sit next to each other shared and uh sits a little ways away but we were you would even say to me like you know the lions this is going to be upsetting for them i'm not sure how they're going to handle this I thought they might skip day three, and day three is when we address, it's called the downward spiral, and it's certainly the toughest day for the family. I think it was Sheridan who uh, got a text from Kathleen the day after we unveiled the podcast, and she said she had been through it all, and uh, was happy is not the right word, but... She uh, said it provided her some closure. Yeah, it did. It was, uh, it helped her a lot, and she, uh, they, they were comfortable with it. And, and to um, be fair, Wade, she said Wade was having a hard time getting through it, yep. hadn't been able to get only through about half of it. Yep. So we, you know, to your concern and your point, it was difficult. And that's when Sheridan, I think, coming in and saying, because it was you largely who was doing it, saying, this is what we're going to be addressing this. We want you to be prepared. Mm -hmm. You know, so they knew going in, it's not it's not anything they should have been surprised about. But, you know, we, we try to prepare them as best they can to try to address 
the you know kind of what you were saying, Mike, that they might not be happy with that portrayal in in chapter three. Right. And right before we wrapped up the series, I went over to the Wyant's house and kind of ran through all of the details that we were using in the story to make yeah, sure that fact we, checking with yeah, we were fact checking make sure that we had everything right so while they didn't see the final scripts or knew what all was going to be included they at least had a good idea of from you know the hundreds of hours of interviews that we did with them they were at least able to have a good idea of what we were pooling to be able to use so i think that was also helpful to maybe prepare a little bit on their part yeah and the young woman that went to the police. I texted with her off and on for several days and she indicated she wanted to talk to us. This is the woman who who accused Colin of of sexual assault. Correct. And we were sitting in this very room uh, waiting for her to call. The interview was scheduled for 2.30 and at 2.28 she texted one more time and said, can this wait till later? And I kind of had a sense then that she uh, had changed her mind, and that's what happened. So we we never never heard from her. But uh, we we've I've been asked already. I've, I've spoken in a couple of colleges about the project, and we've been asked about you know how we approach the sexual assault. And we I think we played it as as straight and down the middle as we possibly could. We found out every piece of information we could, and you know let the uh, the listeners uh, decide for themselves. There were points during this entire thing that all of us probably had to take a moment you guys have already kind of described all of you times when you got emotional or this really impacted you but I, I was wondering if there was one thing in particular that maybe you'll carry with you for a while or that really impacted you for me it was our my last interview with waiting Kathleen before before we published and I asked the question that I think a lot of parents who listen to this had and that is are you angry with Colin are you angry that he went off and made some of these decisions and did these things? And, you know, Wade, I didn't know what he was going to say. Sheridan, I think you were there, right? Mm-hmm. And he got really emotional and he said he wasn't angry with Colin, but you could tell, not tell, he said, I just wish I would have pulled him out of there. Mm-hmm. And that will stick with me because I don't think that that will ever leave the Wyants, that feeling that they somehow had a hand, a small hand in their son's death that this whole scenario whether what side of this you're on it still put them in a position that they feel like they're somewhat responsible for their own son's death and that moment will stick with me as a son as a dad and just as a human being seeing you could see it on Wade's face that he was tormented by it so Patrick I know you you didn't see anyone but I was wondering if there was any moment or something in this that will stick with you yeah, kind of to go off that a little bit, I think this was around the same point, but the way that day when we were in here editing the end of chapter six and we were putting that together and just kind of the ending of it and like hearing Wade talk about that stuff and like how nothing, you know, like how he wished he could have been there that night to like help Colin and he was trying to help him like the best that he could. But like, yeah, and Mike wrote the ending to the to the whole thing and I thought it was brilliant on his part. The pacing, the words, because if you do any kind of self-exploration of these things and you, and you really kind of delve into trauma, there's anger there. And if you listen to the end of it, it's all about capturing Wade's anger. And, you know, Patrick, what you're talking about had an impact on me, too, just hearing hearing that. And we, you know, we edited it, listened to it a thousand times, not a thousand, but you get my point. Heard it so many times, but every time it still brought that home for me. There's one more moment that stuck out for me that I will not forget, and it's it's something that I will deal with. I have a nine-year-old, 
and we're, we often talk about uh, what it means to be a, a, a rat or to tell on someone. He has lots of questions. Something will happen on his school bus, and, you know, Daddy, do I, do I tell the bus driver? Do I tell the teacher? And so when I heard the audio from the disciplinary hearing for the first time, and I heard the fraternity president telling another pledge to hang up the phone or how some of these other questions were being answered and they clearly were not telling the full truth or however you want to you describe that. You know, it really makes me think, like, again, those tough conversations with my little boy. And I digress here, but I remember being a kid. We were hitting golf balls in the park. The ball flew into somebody's living room window and shattered their front, front glass window. My buddies took off running. I stayed there. And I uh, took the hit for him, and I wouldn't tell anybody who was with me. And I have no regrets on that. But when people's lives are in danger, when they're being beaten with belts, when they're being uh, forced to do things they don't want to do, binge drink, drugs, whatever, and someone's in harm's way, I think you're pretty much obligated to do the right thing and come forward and protect them. That's what brotherhood is supposed to be, not beating someone. I think there's a lot of things that will stick with me from this project, but two that I keep going back to is the first one is uh, in one of our final interviews with Kathleen and Wade. We were talking about how do you move forward after you lose a child? Colin was the middle of five kids. And I mean, I'm not a parent and I probably won't be for a long time, but listening to Kathleen talk about an experience that she had where um, someone had asked her how many kids she had after Colin had passed and this kind of moment of inner turmoil like do I say that I have four kids or do I say that I have five and then have to explain like well I have five kids but one of them died and having to figure out how to go through that so she went home one day and googled like what do you say when one of your kids dies how many kids that you have and I felt so struck by that for a number of reasons but I think especially now on the the year after Colin has died thinking like you know every day from here on out is a day that Colin wasn't here the year before you know this is something that is going to affect this family for a long time so that stuck with me but I think one thing that has given me some hope coming out of this is Kathleen had texted Lucas and I after the podcast had come out and she had listened to the whole thing and she was explaining that Wade was having a, a harder time getting through it and, you know, it was going to take him a while. But she had said that she had listened to the whole thing and that it had given her a lot of peace and it had helped her with her healing process, which was not something that I was expecting to hear from her. But it gave me a lot of peace and a lot of hope on my end, knowing that this was helpful for her, that this that hearing this story was not harmful but that it was helpful for her and her healing process to hear it from a third party, kind of the outside looking in as someone else would be, and to know, like, okay, like, I will be okay at some point. We've gotten a lot of feedback on this in the week since it has been out there, and some of it has been what we expected. Some of it has been very complimentary. I know each of you have received some feedback. Some of the stuff that we've gotten, one was from from an email from Donna I'll just call her Donna G. I don't know if she wants to have her last name out there, but she said, I surely hope some of your research goes into the financial aspects of what frats bring to universities. And another piece of feedback is, uh, thank you for the terrible, disturbing story about Colin Wyant and Sigma Pi. I'm thankful my son has no interest in such a brotherhood, quote unquote brotherhood, prayers for Colin's family. Did you guys have any, I know, Patrick, did you have something that you got 
Yeah, there was one. I'm going to read this here. There was one left on the podcasting app. I assume this is from Apple, and they said that. So they rated it five stars, and the headline says, "A necessary warning about hazing." Well done. As a parent of teenagers, I found this podcast illuminating regarding the dangers of hazing. The way the fraternity tried to circle the wagons and distance itself from Colin, not to mention disparage him after he died, should outrage all of us. I would encourage parents and teens alike to listen. Yeah, I had two that stuck out to me. One was a former OU student writer at the Post who had messaged me and said, as a former Ohio University student and writer for the Post Athens, I really appreciate your investigation piece on Colin Wyant's death. I still need to listen to chapter six, but the entire series thus far has been incredibly well documented and reported. Some of these accounts and stories are damning, and so many OU students have been waiting for months to hear truth surrounding the situation. Thank you for your incredible work. And I had received a direct message on Twitter that I thought was particularly interesting. It was actually from a former pledge of Sigma Pi that had known Colin for a couple of months, and then he actually dropped Sigma Pi before Colin's death. But he messaged me and said, I just listened to your podcast and wanted to reach out and tell you how good I thought it was. I was a pledge for Sigma Pi with Colin, but dropped after two weeks. I didn't know many of the details about what had happened since, and your podcast was absolutely perfect. So we had talked a little bit back and forth just about his experience. And I think what was most difficult was that no one from Sigma Pi had reached out to him since the podcast had come out and since that he or since he had dropped. Um, and he was explaining to me that, you know, what I found most disappointing and awful aside from Colin's death is that it seems like they just kind of forget about you after you're gone. And that was certainly the case for him and certainly the case for Colin as well. The personal feedback's been phenomenal, but my favorite response was from Governor DeWine. The governor told us that we need to do more to combat hazing, and he wants to have hazing made a felony. There are 11 other states across the country who've done that. He wants to make sure that uh, hazing allegations are reported to local law enforcement, and uh, he did not mince words whatsoever. Um, he says it's, it's time to stop laughing or joking about hazing and, and take it very seriously before someone else dies and was very well said and um, hopefully the leaders uh, of our state follow through and, and do something and on that note there's going to be more to come you'll hear from us again probably many times so you can still catch the project or consume it all binge it or listen to it at your own pace dispatch.com slash broken pledge you can find us on twitter hashtag broken pledge you can find us on Facebook at the by liking the uh, Columbus Dispatch page, and our the project is still featured very high there. So until next time, thank you again for being a part and for listening, and we'll see you soon.